Welcome to Journey South Bay. Thank you for inviting us in to listen to God's Word. Take a moment to get comfortable, sit back, and relax as we listen to today's message. Uh, this morning's scripture reading is in Samuel. And it starts when it says, There was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was, share, he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. And David said to his men, Every man strap on his sword. And every man of them strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we suffered no harm. We did not miss anything when we were in the fields, as long as we went with them. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep already prepared and five seas of parched grain and a hundred clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs and laid them on donkeys. Now David had said, surely in vain have I guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him and he has returned me evil for good. God do so to the enemies of David and more also if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my lord regard this worthless fellow, Nabal, for his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. You may be seated. Are we on? All right, great. My name is Kyle. Thank you for letting me join you today. As Herb said, I'm filling in Alex's shoes so we can take some time and enjoy the Thanksgiving holiday. It's a special day for me. Uh, I was baptized by Alex 10 years ago, as he alluded to, uh, and then now I'm, I'm here able to, able to fill his shoes. And we lived in Pennsylvania, and now we're, we're, here, we're both here in California. And it's a weekend after Thanksgiving, and we've all, we've all just spent a lot of time with family, maybe a little too much. And so you, you guys have been doing the Sermon on the Mount, and, and maybe we'll rewind a little bit and look at that anger section. Um, if you keep that in the back of your mind, maybe you'll, you'll see that in this text. Um, family can be hard, and, uh, and we lose patience easily. And I know, like, we don't have that kind of relationship yet. I'm new here, but I do want this sermon to challenge you in this point. And I feel okay doing that, though, because we will, we will get to Christ, and we will see Christ in this text and um, hear that forgiveness that we have with Him. So, uh, so we've read the text. Let's, let's jump in. A modern poet once asked a very profound question. She said, why are men great till they got to be great? Why are men great till they got to be great? 
Some, some of you may know where this is coming from, but it's self-explanatory. Why do men seem great until they have to step up? Why do we believe that men, uh, be them boyfriends or politicians, celebrities, why do we believe that these men can fill these false promises of happiness and security when every time we need to depend on them, they fail? Well, this is why I'm here. I'm here to answer this question. For those that don't know it, this modern poet is pop icon Lizzo. And it's a little silly, but the concern's very serious. We have a, a major problem, and it's not just men, although we take that responsibility. And, like, I'm not as great as I want to be. Um, as, I, as I grew up, I was somewhat angry. And as a kid at summer camp, a, uh, one student at, at one time budged in front of the line at kickball, and he budged in front of me and six other kids behind me, and I hit him. Um, it's, it's not a proud moment, but, you know, in my mind at the time, I'm doing justice to, like, this whole line of people, and this guy did something wrong, and I did something about it, and I'm defending a principle. Uh, at least that's what I said in my head, right? Um, it wasn't the right thing to do. But there's something there that I was maybe right about, and then I acted wrongly and in anger and in violence. Uh, how do you respond when you're insulted or offended, or when we see wrong in the news and in the world? Are we, are we angry and, and want to do something about that that is sinful? Maybe we lash out, maybe we get irrationally mad at one person over here because we're actually mad at this thing over here. I'm sorry to say, but this one kid wasn't the only person I was mad at growing up. I, want, I once hit a kid in art class because he was doing his art project wrong. Like, his art project wrong. I, I had that in my head that somehow I had to do something about that. But was, was I really mad at that kid, or, or could it have been something else going on in my life? Maybe my parents' divorce that was happening at the same time, entirely outside of my control. Like, maybe you're not lashing out physically. I, I hope not. But we do overreact to insults, and we, and we uh, maybe even we go the passive-aggressive route. But regardless, the Lord says we must be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. And as we look at the story, we should learn one very important thing. David will teach us something about this, about what we will do with our anger. Um, and, and this is the point that I want us to, to take home. I'll just preview it here. Because we're fools just like David, we need a mediator to stand between us and God. Because we're fools just like David, we need a mediator to stand between us and God. Who will be that one to stand between you and God? Of course, this mediator is Jesus. He brings the gift of himself to the Father, which I will show you. And this gift stays the hand of judgment. Uh, we'll get there. We will get there, and I'll lead us through this text through three points. Righteous anger, misplaced justice, and an offering of peace. Righteous anger, misplaced justice, and an offering of peace. So first, the righteous anger. If you missed the text, uh, it was 1 Samuel 25, and we have three major characters. We have David, Nabal, and Abigail, and David is mad at Nabal. That's the plot summary, and he's going to kill Nabal. And I opened up a question with, with a question from Lizzo, but here's another question. Is David's anger justified at Nabal? Like, is his anger at Nabal justified? I think, I, I want to show you that it is. His anger is justified here. He's, he was right to be mad possibly right to do something about it, but then, which I'll show you, is he's not right to kill over it. 
So the main reason here, though, is that the king deserves special treatment. David is the king of Israel, and, uh, and he actually protected Nabal's men and his property. And, and, and Nabal did the exact opposite and, and insulted David. So we're in chapter 25 of this text, but uh, in, back in chapter 16, David was anointed king by, Israel, uh, by Samuel over Israel. And for 10 chapters, 16 to 24, David's on the run from Saul, who's like Israel's actual king. And Saul's trying to kill him, and then David has this chance to kill Saul in chapter 24. And uh, in this story, David is on the run. He's hiding like in the back of a cave. And Saul, like he's, David's hiding with all his men. And he's, they're waiting there, hoping Saul won't come in. But he does. Saul comes in, but he comes in and goes to the bathroom. He goes to the bathroom, and David says, wow, this is my chance. I, Saul's trying to kill me. Well, I'll just kill him. We're at war. And he doesn't do it, actually. He, he, he's about to stab David. He's, David's about to stab Saul. He says, no, like you don't hurt the Lord's anointed. I can't kill Saul because the Lord chose him, and I don't, even though I don't like him, I have to respect him. And so instead, he actually just grabs the, the robe of Saul's uh, coat, and he cuts it off, and he like slinks back into the cave and then waits Saul finishes up and leaves the cave. And David, David takes that piece of robe and he walks out and says, Saul, look, I had a chance to kill you, but I didn't because you're the king. And, and Saul then is cut to the heart and says, David, you're, you're more righteous than I am. He says this line, which if you're paying attention, you'll hear an echo, which we'll see again. He says, you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. Saul says that to David. You've repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And David, at, t- at chapter 24, sounds like a really great guy. And he sounds like he's doing the right thing, and, and he is. And, and, and that's what we would think if we didn't have chapter 25. And chapter 25 comes right after this. And we learn, uh, we, we do learn, however, in 24, that the king deserves special treatment. And this is a principle that, that uh, covers the entire Old Testament. But David, especially right here, is recognizing this. And um, one short little verse we, we, did, we skipped was, Verse 1, is, it says, and Samuel died. Um, Saul finally recognizes David as king, and Samuel dies, and you have David now. Is like the, it's his, this is his chance. This is his chance as, as the leader of Israel. No more Samuel, no more Saul. And the question is, in chapter 25, will David be great? Will he, now that he's got to be great, will David be great? And we get this climax kind of thing, and then Samuel dies, and then we get what the text that we read. And it's, it's kind of a stark change. We get the story about Nabal and Abigail. And as it said, it's like there's this man in my own. We get all this detail about how rich he was. And we read that. It's like 3,000 sheep, 1,000 goats. And he's shearing them in Carmel. And, you know, we, we don't live in Israel, but this guy is really wealthy. This guy, is, um, this guy has money. And shearing the sheep, you're, you're caring for your sheep for a whole year, and you bring them to a place to shear them, and you're going to cut that wool, and then you're going to sell it. And you've been, you've been painstakingly protecting these sheep for a year. You finally get your payday. And so this is like, uh, this is the festival because it's, it's payday, it's like Christmas, it's all this stuff all at once, the, the one moment where you kind of, all the anxiety is gone about what the, you know, the, the, whether these sheep will live. And you're celebrating this successful fiscal year. And you're reading this and you're saying, okay, wealthy guy, time of the festival, 
hospitality celebration. And this doesn't mean a lot to us, but it says, and his name was Nabal. And Nabal means fool. His name was fool. It's the same word in Psalm 14. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Or we could say, Nabal says in his heart, there is no God. It's not a good look. Uh, This is a man of contrasts. We have this rich but stupid man. His name's fool, but his wife's name is Abigail, which means my father was delighted. He is harsh, badly behaved, and she is discerning and beautiful. Discerning and beautiful. Abigail is the Old Testament Beyonce. Um, it's, it's this like Colin Joe, Scarlett Johansson of the Old Testament. This is a mismatched couple. And uh, and if you, if you want to know more about Abigail, you can look at Proverbs 31. She is the woman of valor, this Proverbs 31 woman. Uh, a, a verse here, she considers a field and buys it. With, her fruit, with the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. This is, uh, this is as, uh, the highest praise we get for almost any woman. And Nabal is a Calebite. He's a dog. Before he does anything, we have extremely low expectations of Nabal. And so David, David hears of this man, he's a wealthy man, and he sends an email. He says, sends a messenger man, and he says, we're hungry, it's a feast day, can we eat with you? Uh, you know, I'm the king, we've protected your men. You didn't lose any uh, money while we were protecting your men, and actually cost ourselves. You can ask your men, um, we just ask that we, we can come and eat with you on this festival day. And he sends this messenger man, and Nabal doesn't buy it. Nabal is like uh, rejecting David uh, as, if, uh, as if the president came to your house on Thanksgiving and you said, no, thank you. Um, first, he feigns ignorance in this verse 10, which we read. He says, who is David? And then he says, who is the son of Jesse? Uh, you don't use someone's last name or title if you don't know who they are. So he's clearly like kind of just rubbing this in. And he obviously knows who David is. And he says, he, he keeps rubbing it in. He says, there are many servants breaking away from their masters. And, and, and at this, he just turns the knife in. And, and this is what David has done to Saul. He's tur- David is the servant of Saul and has turned against his master. And Nabal says, if you can do it, then I can do it. And then he shows his hand. He finally shows his hand and he says in verse 11, shall I take my bread and my water, my meat that I've killed for my shearers and give it to men who come from I do not know where? Okay, right? It's clear that Nabal is a greedy jerk, and he's more concerned for his money than, than the king that has come to his, to his rescue. He's sa- the king has saved the sheep and men, and he doesn't care. So David is justified to be angry, okay? Um, this idiot has rejected the king, and he's more concerned about his wealth, and he's, he's insulting David. So that's, that's uh, point number one. Point number two, the misplaced justice, this is a really simple point. Um, thou shalt not kill, right? Thou shalt not kill. It's in the Bible. David should have known this, and this is not the reaction that was fitting to the crime, and David should know this. But, um, but let's get into his, David's head here. You know, like in the cartoons, you'll have, uh, you'll have two guys like in Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck stranded in a boat, and they're rowing kind of in circles, stranded in the middle of the ocean, they're not making any progress, and, and like one says to the other, you know, like we should really make a plan. We gotta, 
we got to get out of the situation. We should work together. Let's make a plan. I'm getting hungry. And then the guy, like, on the other side of the boat, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm getting hungry, too. And he sees, and we see from his eyes, we see this guy turn into a Thanksgiving drumstick, right? Like, we, he, from his eyes, he starts to see what he wants and goes to, you know, eat his friend. This is David, okay? This is David, except he's not hungry for blood. Uh, he's not hungry for food. He's hungry for blood, right? He, he doesn't see this uh, honeyed ham on Nabal's body, but he sees Saul's head, and he's seeing the ability to, to bring vengeance for some, you know, he had this misplaced justice aspect. He, he wanted to kill Saul, but he couldn't, and yet he, he looks at Nabal, and he says, this guy's a nobody, and this guy's a jerk, and he doesn't even blink, and he says, strap on your swords. He's going to kill, uh, he's not just going to kill Nabal either, he's going to kill all of Nabal's family. And, and so, this is, this is the misplaced justice. Um, I, I referenced this before, but he's, remember he said, uh, Saul said, he has returned me good for evil. And David then takes this, he's a little self-righteous. He, he didn't kill Saul, so now he's got a free one. And, and then he, he says this to Nabal, he says, Nabal has returned me evil for good. So this kind of will cancel out maybe David's thinking. And, uh, and it's this reversal. Um, but that's not how it works, okay? Right? That's, that's, he, it's wrong. It's very clear that it's wrong. It doesn't matter that you have a, an excuse to be angry. It doesn't ha- matter that, you have, um, that you're right. But um, you don't punch the kid in art class, and you, you don't lash out at your coworkers or your wife or your kids because you've had a hard day. And I know we've all been there, right? And, I, and this, is, um, this is a hard thing. This is a hard thing. But God has a plan. Nabal's over here being a jerk, and David is preparing for his massacre. God shapes events in the background that will save both their lives. And for this, the third point, they need an offering of peace. They need an offering of peace. Uh, if, if we're familiar, I think with the story of the prodigal son, it, it goes a little bit like this if you're not. The, the father um, gives the son his inheritance who wants to take that inheritance, and the son leaves, and he goes to Europe, and he goes backpacking, and he, he squanders all his inheritance like in Amsterdam. And, and then he returns home to his father and, and is like, oh, well, at least maybe I can eat with the pigs or something. And the, the father then, like, opens his arms and says, come, like, come back, you're my son. My son was dead, and now he's alive again. And it, it's a beautiful picture, and it's a really true story, and it gives us an idea of, of what God is like. And he really is like this. But, but can we really say that when we're off in Europe, that we're, coming, we're actually going to come back? Um, you know, are we, are we really returning to God the Father the way this story suggests? I would say maybe not. Um, Colossians 2.13 says, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Right? We, we died on our little excursion. We're not coming back to God. Romans 1 says, we are without excuse, for although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Our hearts are darkened. We're not returning to God on our own, and we're all fools. And Romans 6 adds this one little piece. It says, 
the wages of sin is death. So we're not going back to God in the story of this prodigal son. And God's, God really, His justice demands payment. And so He can't just open His arms freely with nothing. Um, we, we've earned death. We've earned death not just by the anger, but lust and greed and selfishness. So before He opens these loving arms as the, as the father does to the prodigal son, he needs, the son needs an offering of peace. And the same is true for Nabal. David, David's about to kill him because he didn't show the honor that David deserved, and he didn't show hospitality. And, and yet, he gets this, this loving mediator. His wife, Abigail, comes in his place. In verse 14, Abigail hears of David's plan, and she jumps into action pretty immediately. The men go to Abigail and say, do something about this. She's clearly running the business. And she knows how to get things done. We read this. I made sure this verse stayed in there. Um, she said, grab 200 loaves, two skins of wine, five sheep, five saves of parched grain. You know, today it would be like, get the cheese board, get the deviled eggs, get the arugula salad. She's assembling her Thanksgiving dinner like in a minute. And then she's taking it on the road to bring this to David. And it's a complex plan and it's satisfying to watch. And like I said, she is running this business and, and her husband is just reaping the benefits. She takes all this food, and brings it to David in the wilderness. And then she says, on me be the guilt. On me be the guilt. Do not consider Nabal for he is worthless. He's not worth your time. He's not worth the blood guilt. And she asks for forgiveness and importantly, she brings the feast. She brings the feast that David had earned and deserved as king. And they go hand in hand. The, the feast stays the, the killing and protects Nabal. So these two men are saved by the action of this woman of valor. Now, um, I think... If you imagine, uh, if, you, if you remember Psalm 23, there's a verse that goes like this, that I think this text will show us a little differently. Psalm 23 says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I think this verse shows us something a little different there, that, that the table before me in the presence of my enemies is for the enemy's benefit. The, the, the table is good for David, and it's good for Nabal. And this table protects both. You know, and I think when, when this meal finally shows up to David, he's a little hangry, right? Um, he finally gets this food. I, I, I imagine maybe the scales would fall from his eyes, and, and instead, of, instead of seeing Saul's head on Nabal's body, uh, as, as in the cartoon, you know, maybe, maybe instead he sees his own face, as if in a mirror, a fool before the living God, and we're like this. We're fools before a living God, and we need our Abigail. This Abigail for us is Christ, right? I, I want to show you this briefly through three short points of application, one for each character. Uh, I said in the beginning, this is David's first chance as Israel's king. He failed and was only prevented from murder this one time by Abigail, and he'll kill again. Uh, he'll fail again. And, the, you know, this should show us that um, we're celebrating Advent and we're lighting the candles. This story is pointing for, forward to a better king, a, a king that we need because we're not able to do it. 
And David was Israel's best chance, and he failed. And so the reason why men great till they got to be great is sin. And, um, you know, let's not get confused. Like, David did do better for a time. Um, Saul was a really bad king, but um, we need a perfect king. This, a king or president, right, can't solve the problems of sin, pain, and death in the way that we need them to. And so, right, like, Joe Biden can't be the ruler that we need. He's not our ultimate hope. And, he, and, and Donald Trump can't be the ruler we need. He's not our ultimate hope. We need Christ. Christ rules now in wisdom. And in, at his coming, what we're waiting for, he will rule in power. Put your faith in, in Christ and not men. Secondly, Abigail, when, when she hears of David's plan against Nabal, she steps up. She does what, uh, she does what Nabal should have done okay? She does what Nabal should have done, right? Like, men, let's hear that. Abigail does what her husband should have done. Like, women should take a lesson from Abigail. She's a great example, but, like, this story is not about what it means to be a good husband or a good wife. It's it's a story about what it means once you've failed, once you've messed up. So, like, men, we do have a duty to lead and protect our wives and families, but, um, but we do this by confessing our sins and trusting that God has sent an Abigail already for us. Um, some of us need to hear this, but women and men alike, can't, we can't be the Abigail in this story. We can, we can uh, imitate her, and we can imitate Christ, but we can't be this perfect intercessor between God and men. So, um, you know, for that we need this mediator. This mediator to come and stand in our place. As I said, we've been fools, and we've been fools just like Nabal, right? um, Let's see, you know, what happens to him? We didn't read the whole chapter. It's very long. But verse 38, we see that the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. The Lord, as I said, has a duty to do this. The Lord has a duty to kill evildoers. Um, If we remember, it said Nabal was harsh and badly behaved. Badly behaved here could easily be translated evildoer. He was an evildoer. Like he's a bad guy. There's none who does good. Not David and not us. And what we need is this Abigail to come and stand between us and the wrathful king. And this, is, this person is Jesus. Jesus acts as our Abigail, and he brings this perfect feast, this perfect offering of peace to the Lord on our behalf. And, and this is not a feast of bread and raisins, but it's of his own blood. He is, he's the lamb. Jesus is the Lamb of God. He's the high priest. He's the high priest and the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. And with this offering, God invites us to the table to eat with him. And we're invited not to die, but to sit and eat, even though we've been fools. When we take communion, we're we're looking forward to this, and we're remembering that Christ has made this perfect offering So we sit and eat with the King of glory. Amen. Let me pray. Oh Lord, we have been fools. Help us to see this offering of Jesus Christ on our behalf and turn to him before it's too late. God, forgive our foolishness and send us your Holy Spirit to make us rejoice like David, who said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. 
We long for the day when you will return to reign in truth and justice. Help us to reflect your kingdom with our words and actions. Amen. If you enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to the RSS podcast feed. This will let you know when a new message has been posted. You can also look for us on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram at Journey South Bay. Until next time, God bless.